Well, hey, guys, thank you so much, and thank you for what you do, guys, and uh, we're looking forward to see how God uses it. Thank you. And let me say, hey, when you go to something like that, a training like that, you don't have to just jump right in and meet one-on-one with somebody. This could be even something that, hey, maybe there's somebody there that you need to be discipled. And for some of us, maybe we've been walking with Christ for a long time, and you know, we need to take that next step. And what does it look like to open a Bible with somebody and just read through a passage together? You don't have to have all the answers. Often I don't. But all you have to do is love God and love that person and be willing to walk with them. And uh, I think Doug and Claudia have done that such a long time that uh, there's a lot to learn from them, a lot to learn from them. Hey, if you guys want to grab a Bible, uh, we're going to be in John uh, John chapter 1, actually. Last week, we walked through the Gospel of Mark, and what we did was we looked from the beginning kind of to the end of what a disciple looks like. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And we looked in the Gospel of Mark from invitation to being with Jesus to going out and doing what Jesus did. Well, today we're doing the same thing. Not the Gospel of Mark, though. I'm not repeating that. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. So if you want to go to John chapter 1, and the question we're asking is, what does it mean to be a Talmudin? That's in the Hebrew, a disciple of Jesus. And we discovered it's three things. To be called a disciple means three things. One, it means to be with the rabbi. Jesus' title, the title by which he was known best, was that of rabbi. Sixty times in the New Testament, Jesus is called a teacher or a rabbi. And so the first goal of a Talmudin, of a disciple, an apprentice, was to be with their rabbi. Now, second, it's not enough just to be with them. You want to become like them. You want to share the same loves, the same passion. You want to become like that person. And then finally... The call of a disciple is not just to believe the right things, but actually do what Jesus did. That God is calling us to go out into the world, and he sent them out two by two to actually do what Jesus did. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's the trajectory that God wants to take us on. One, to be with him. What does that look like? What are the practices involved? Two, to become like him. And then third, to go out and actually do what Jesus did. So over the next three, five years, we're going to be really practical. Really practical, certainly in our small groups and our gatherings, we're going to be really practical about doing this stuff together. Because the way you learn is not just simply on a Sunday morning here. you got to get around people who pray. The only way I learned to pray was I was with this guy, and I think I've told you the story. He's like 6'8". He loved to sing out loud, and he loved to walk around the mall and pray. It was the most uncomfortable thing I ever did. But in being with him, I learned how to pray because he had a gift of prayer. Some people have a gift of evangelism. Some people have a gift of mercy. And when we come alongside them, some of their gifts rub off on us, and we understand what it looks like to follow Jesus practically in the everyday stuff of life. So let's jump into John chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. And the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, his Talmudin, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned, and he saw them following them, and he said to them, what are you seeking? And that's an important question. As you follow Christ, what are you seeking? I lost my place. And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now jump down to verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you're under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. See, when Nathanael says, Rabbi, he understands to follow Jesus means to be with him, to become like him, to do what he did. But the invitation of Jesus, the first invitation is important. Jesus doesn't simply say, you know, come and believe the right things or come and obey. He says, I want you to come and just experience. Experience my teaching. Experience my love. Be with me. Walk alongside me. And as you're with Jesus, the belief in Jesus and the life of Jesus flows. And and you notice, didn't you see once Jesus said, come and be with me, come and see. Well, that's what the disciples started sharing with each other. Every time they found their friend, their buddy, they said, hey, why don't you just come and see? I'm not gonna try to convince you. I just want you to be with Jesus with me. Now, the challenge is today, we don't have a physical Jesus. He's not walking alongside us. We're not in Israel. We're not in the first century, 21st century believers. What does that look like for us today? So what John does And his gospel, as Jesus is walking this life, he's coming to the cross. And the closer he gets to the cross, he tells his disciples, guys, I got to go. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. Rather, another helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And the reason the Spirit's going to come is so that you might be with me. So jump to John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, Jesus is addressing his disciples in verse 16. And he tells them what's going to happen when he leaves. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. And if you notice the language, to be with you forever. I've been with you for three years. But another helper, which means another like me or another one of me, is literally the language, is going to come and to be with you forever Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now notice the language. He's saying, I'm leaving, but I'm coming. I'm not going to be with you, and yet I'm going to be with you. That The purpose of the spirit is so that we might be with God. See, Jesus came to make us the children of God. The Spirit came so that we might experience what it means to be the children of God. Now, we need to ask practically, what does that look like to be with God through the power of the Spirit? Well, jump again, chapter 15, and Jesus describes what it looks like to be with him. What does it mean to be with the Spirit and through the Spirit to be be with him? And, And John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus described it this way. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, 
that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, the word that resonates over and over and over, ten times over, is this word, abide. Abide in me through the Spirit. I want you to be with me, which means make your home in me. Now, to make your home in him means to recognize that he is with you. Not just a moment in the day, but to recognize he's with you throughout the day. One of the challenges in the Western church and Western Christianity is that we're really good at one thing, and that's knowledge. The Western church has mastered theology, knowledge, books, speakers. We have the great teaching. But in other places in the world, for example, the Korean church, the Korean church loves to pray. You go to a Korean church, and they will literally just pray hour, two hours, and they'll all pray at once. Have you ever been there? It's like, oh my goodness. Everybody, and they're speaking different languages, and they're all praying at once, all praying together. Because see, through the Spirit, God works through different churches in different ways, and there's things for us to learn from different, different communities. But this idea of abiding with Jesus is that through the power of the Spirit, he wants us to be constantly aware of his presence. Now, what does that mean for us? Practically, it means you always are in two places at once. You're always in two places at once. When you get up in the morning and you have breakfast, you're having breakfast, but you're also with Jesus. You're getting up, you're doing email, but you're not just doing email, you're doing email and you're aware of God's presence. You're yelling at your kids and you're aware of God's presence. You're having an argument with somebody, you're aware of God's presence. You're driving in the car and you're aware of God's presence. The idea of abiding with God means... The Christian life is not just a moment, it's not an hour, it's 24-7. That Jesus has come to restore this 24-7 conscious relationship with God. Now, that sounds different than often what's given to us as a description of what the Christian life is. And to do that, it's going to take practice. It's not something that just comes to us, but being aware of God when you're in an argument with somebody, that takes practice. Being aware of God when you're anxious, when you're overwhelmed, being aware of God throughout the day, in the day that you live, in the routine that you have, it's going to take practice. Now, there's a lot of people we follow that have already followed this path and shown us the way. Now, one of those people is a monk named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence came to faith, and then he joined a monastery. So I know that's different than our lifestyle I know that's a different place, but he goes to this monastery and he becomes a dishwashing monk. Essentially, he doesn't become a priest, he becomes a dishwashing monk, but he was somebody that practiced God's presence and awareness of God's presence throughout the day. And people discovered that he had this rich, vital relationship with God and they started writing him letters. And Brother Lawrence started writing letters back and eventually someone collected all those letters 
They put them together in this little tiny book, it's like 20, 30 pages, called Practicing the Presence of God. And listen to this paradigm shift as he describes what it means to be with God in conscious relationship with him, abiding with God throughout the day. Brother Lawrence, he described it this way. He said, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. So stop just right there. The time of work and business, it doesn't differ from when I'm in prayer with God. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in his greater tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. Now, that's a, that's a big change, a big change in how we view life. He's saying that being with God in prayer is no different than being with God at work as these monks are rushing in for their breakfast, their lunch, their dinner together, asking me for things. I sense the tranquility and the presence of God in the same way in that moment as I do on my knees, and in the Catholic Church, there's no greater moment of God's presence than when the bread becomes the body of Christ and the blood becomes the, the, the um, not the blood, the, um, the, what is it called? Wine. There we go. Second service. The wine becomes the blood of Christ. And in that moment, God is present. And he's saying, he's saying that my life with God, it, it doesn't change. Whether I'm in an argument with my wife or my kids or whether I'm driving or no matter what's going on, I'm aware of the presence of God in my life. That's what Jesus is calling us to. When he says the Holy Spirit will come, will abide with you forever and be with you, the purpose of the Spirit is to raise our awareness of God. Now, the challenge is we're not practicing that. Now, let me give an example because when I first got married, I wasn't practicing the presence of my marriage. Now, what do I mean? Well, I was a young man. I was 22, 21 years old, something like that. And I didn't realize that it was important that if you're going to be late or you're going to change your schedule, you actually had to call. You had to call and notify the person. I, I know, it's stupid, isn't it? I should have known that. I was 21, 22. I should have known that when you have a marriage, you're always in that marriage, even though she is not with you. And so I had to learn to practice the presence of my marriage, which meant that my wife had desires and she had needs, and if I wasn't willing to meet those needs, that relationship wouldn't be vibrant. And so I had to learn throughout my day, even though I was in an argument with somebody driving across town, it didn't matter. I had to learn to connect with my wife, realize what she needed, and respond to her need. Now, that took time. It took, sometimes it took conflict, but the same thing is true with God. The relationship is still there, but what does it look like to practice that relationship even though you're not in an intentional time with him? Now, Dallas Willard is one of the greats on this as well. He wrote a book called The Great Omission, and in it, he describes, he describes this process of being with God, and he said it this way. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds, this is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Now, that sounds like work, doesn't it? But it's a practice. I've got to constantly direct, which means I'm, I'm going to lose that consciousness, and then I've got to learn to redirect, redirect my mind to him. Now, here's the result. We must take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon, 
Over time, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward being. The more you train your affections around something you love, something you want to be the center of life, the more your desires will direct your behavior. The more you set your affections, the more you set your schedule, the more you set your time and your energy and your your mental energy on something, the more it's going to become a part of your behavior. Now, here's an example of this. I didn't get my first cell phone until 2006. I know, right? I was kind of a late adopter. And I had to learn to be with this. Right? We, it wasn't like it was just natural. I never had one of these things before. Some of you have grown up with them, had them the whole time, but it was a practice. I would leave my phone at home. Well, that, what's the purpose of a cell phone but to be with you? Now, the challenge is today, we are discipled in being with this thing. When it dings, we respond. We say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And, and there are certain things built within the phone to give us this response, These apps, they're created in such a way to give us this drive, to give us this passion that we're constantly coming back to it. And you know what that does? When you're with something all the time, it sets rhythms in your life. It sets practices that then you're aware of where it is. Do you guys know where your phone is right now? Any surprises about where it is? Any surprises about when you leave the house, where you're going to find it? Now, sometimes we do lose it, right? We do lose track. But you have practiced the presence of your phone for such a long time that you know what it means to be with it, and you have done that over a period of time, and you've seen others do it as well. Well, it's the same thing with God. Now, God is dwelling within us, so it's deeper and it's better, but we have to learn what does it mean to be with God throughout the day. And what that means is sometimes we need someone in our life speaking into our life about what that looks like. Because as we go through different stages and experiences in life, there's someone near us that's gone through that stage, that's gone through that experience, and even I have to stop and say, hey, what does it look like to be with God when my kid is absolutely miserable? And my kid's failing at school, and I feel like a terrible father, and I'm beating myself up. I need to sit with that parent. I need to sit with that person and say, what does it look like to be with God when my mentality's at this place? Or maybe if you're single, what does it mean to be with God? You know, I want to be in a relationship, and yet that's not where I am. What does it look like to be with God in those moments? That's something that, that not everyone can speak into your life because they've practiced in that place. And see, God's desire for us is not just to be with us once or twice or through an event, but to be with us throughout the day and to be aware of his presence. That's the first and primary, the first and primary goal of a disciple is to learn to be with God. Now, the challenge is you have a lot of things around you discipling you not to be with God. Because the instant gratification of a phone, of an app, The instant gratification of food or television or all these things, they kind of ingrain into our soul. But realize, whatever we set our life after, whatever we pattern our life after, we are becoming. You are created to become like God. Something is discipling us. What does it look like to set aside the things in this world and to allow God to be our discipler, to become more and more like him. I'll tell you, it looks like taking on the practices of Jesus. And here are some of the practices of Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, he had certain rhythms in his life. 
One of them was silence and solitude. You notice how often Jesus just got away? He didn't have a cell phone. No one could contact him. I mean, maybe he told his disciples, hey, John, this is where I'm going to be, you know, so you guys don't worry. But he got away, and in that space, it was silence. In, in our world of chaos today, we don't have silence. There's constantly a radio. There's constantly a sound. There's constantly a podcast. There's constantly something around us. Jesus spent time simply being with God. And realize, he spent a lot of time sleeping. You ever notice that? I, there's like three or four places where the disciples had to wake him up because Jesus was asleep. He knew how to rest. Jesus knew how to Sabbath. See, to Sabbath means to rest. It means to simplify life. They would take care of everything. Everything you're gonna eat is already made. Everything's done. You set everything else aside. You're simply with people and you are with God. That was a pattern in his life. Now think about the life of Jesus. Did he, did he have a hectic life? I mean, demands, people telling him, hey, Jesus, you got to get here. My, my brother has just died. My daughter is sick. This is happening. You know what? Jesus was often late. You ever notice that? People had expectations on Jesus, and they would say to him, I, it's been three days. My brother would have been alive. Where have you been? Then somebody else says, my daughter is sick, and he stops, and he hangs out with this woman and talks to her. Jesus wasn't hurried. Jesus was always on a path, and yet you couldn't say that he didn't have persecution, he didn't have stress, didn't have hardship, and yet the description of Jesus' life is one of peace. Why? Because the same resources we have are the same resources he had. He had the Holy Spirit, he had the Word of God, and he learned to practice the presence of God because Jesus is both fully God and that through him we understand who God is, but we also, through Jesus, understand who we are. And we understand what it means to be fully human. What does it look like if heaven came down on earth and heaven made itself visible and evergreen and we walked within the kingdom of God in God's presence? It would look like the practices of Jesus. He prayed. He allowed scripture to drive him. He lived a simplistic life. No place to lay his head. I'm not saying we're going there. But there were things he said, you know what, I want it, but I really don't need it. He lived simplicity, and yet his life was, was a life of peace. Now, if you go back to John 14, verse 37, Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. I do not leave with you as the world lives, uh, leaves with you. Meaning peace in the world is based on circumstance and performance, Right? That's what my paycheck is based on, right? Circumstance and performance. And, and in the world, it's all based on how well I'm doing and if I'm climbing the right ladders and accomplishing the right things, then my identity is built up in what I do. But he's saying it's not based, my peace is not based on what you've done. It's based on what I'm going to do. But the peace that Jesus offers is something we have to practice. Is the life that we're living resulting in peace or like the world, are we just as anxious? Think about the world we live in. This is a world of anxiety and pills. Just to be, and not to say that some of us take, I take pills. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't do that. But, but just let's think about that for a minute. We live in a world of anxiety and constant motion. Productivity in many ways are, is our God. 
And not to suggest that learning and developing isn't important, but there are things that lead to peace and there are things that don't. And if the output of our life is not the peace that God wants for us, that means our life isn't right. You see, the life of Jesus is only possible if you're willing to live the lifestyle of Jesus. The life that Jesus offers is only possible if you're willing to live the life that Jesus lived. Why was Jesus at peace? Because of the life that he lived. Because he spent time in silence and solitude. Because he spent time in prayer. Because he was patient and he lived an unhurried life. Because he slept. Because he ate. Because he was in community. Because he ate with sinners and tax collectors. His life was characterized by peace because he lived a life of peace. What we want in the West is we want the life without the lifestyle. I want the pill. I want Jesus to come in right now, give me some peace, and he will not give it to you because peace is not a commodity. It's a person. And it's walking with that person in life. How do we do that? Silence and solitude. At Bergen Park Church, in the years to come, we're going to practice silence and solitude together. Not in this room, don't worry, we're not going to do that here. But hopefully in our small groups, we're going to practice, what does it look like? Have you ever taken a 24-hour retreat and been absolutely silent? Done it twice, and I'll tell you, some of the greatest revelations that have come to me have come in absolute silence, where I finally hear my mind. You hear your mind moving. It's like, what's that noise? Oh, that's my mind. And you're sitting there, and God will start to speak to you, but you've got to get past the noise. Jesus did that on a regular basis. I've only done that twice. I think I'm behind. We have to learn to practice those things. And then when it comes to prayer, I didn't learn to pray until I had somebody praying with me. I'm a pastor. I was a pastor for 10 years before I ever figured out this prayer thing, right? I had no clue until this guy who was an intercessor who was crazy weird sat down next to me and he said, I'm going to disciple you in prayer. And I spent this time with him and I said, wow, it's not about asking for stuff. It's about being with him. And in being with him, you sense God's peace. we got to learn how to read scripture. You read scripture a lot of different ways. You can meditate. You can have a verse of the day. You can read large chunks, small chunks. We have to learn how to practice that together. And in practicing that together... The life of Jesus comes out of that lifestyle from Jesus. So the question becomes, where are we? You know, it's funny. Sometimes, you know, at my office, it kind of looks right out, looks right out uh, on the road, and I'll see people running by my house all the time. It's like an ever guy. You guys run a lot. Uh, you ride a lot of bikes, and you ride some crazy bike with these wheels. It's like giants. Like, guys, it's snowing. I think that means stop riding bikes. But somebody came up with an invention to ride bikes when it's snowing, when it's icy. And I see these people. And then sometimes it's 20. Have you seen this lady? It's 20 below. It's snowing, 10 feet visibility. And she is just running. She is out there running in negative 20 degrees. And it's like a blizzard. And I'm thinking, what are you people doing? And But here's the thing. Sometimes I admire that. Sometimes I think maybe I can do that. And so maybe I buy the clothes and I buy the shoes and I start eating the food and I start, I start taking a nap and it's 20 below and I go outside, listen, I'm coming right back in. Because even if I have the life, if I have the stuff and I don't have the lifestyle, I'm gonna be dead on the road. I'm gonna be dead on the bike. Now what that person has is not just the life, they got the shoes, they got the clothes, but they've got a lifestyle and they got a community of people who also run and negative 20 degrees, and they have a capacity to accomplish that because if the lifestyle is there, the life is there. 
And when Jesus calls us to be with him, he's saying these are the practices that lead to the abundant life. And in the West, our challenge as a church is we see these things as unproductive. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's a lie that's going to keep you from peace. It's going to keep you from joy. Because Paul says if we walk by the Spirit, we do not carry out the desires of the flesh. But if we walk by the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit come out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How does a tree bear fruit? Not by trying harder. The mantra of the Christian church is try harder. It's not trying harder. It's abiding more. A tree bears fruit as, it, as the branch abides in the vine and lives the life of the tree through it. The fruit comes out. The reason we're in silence and solitude and prayer and scripture reading and meditation and community with others is so that the life of God might lead out of us to others. To have the life, we've got to have the lifestyle. So as we close, just what's some application points? Here's one that's really simple. Simplicity. Simplicity. What can you cut out? We can cut out some stuff. There is stuff in my life I think I need and it leads to peace. And then I ask my wife, don't you think these games that I'm playing on my phone lead to peace? And she says, no, you don't know yourself. Who is it in your life that knows you well enough to say, you know what? I I know you think that show's funny, but I think it's corroding your soul. There's stuff that we watch in our culture. and, And hey, listen, it's okay to have entertainment and joy and watch these things. But you've got to ask, maybe what I'm watching is leading to what I'm feeling. You've got a pattern and a rhythm and a lifestyle, and it's leading to a kind of life, which means maybe I need to simplify and say what's not necessary. And so that's, and that's up to you. I don't know what it looks like for you. For me, it was in the month of January. Every January, I just turn off all the apps, just kind of start shutting them down. And when I want to watch something, unless my kids are watching it, it's going to be a family thing, I just don't watch And in that moment, I go up to my office, I stop, and I just simply sit there for 10 minutes, and I say, Father, I thank you that I'm with you. One of the things you can pick up is every morning or every afternoon, second thing is just simply to practice silence with God. Mother Teresa, she had this, this is way back in the day, right? We're going 70s, 80s. Uh, Dan Rather did this interview with Mother Teresa, and, and he was interviewing her about her prayer life, and he said, well, when you, when you pray, do you talk, uh, does God talk to you? Uh, and she says, no, I, I just listen. Let me get this right. Yeah, she's talking to Dan. You guys are with me. And she say, he says this, do you, actually, he says this, do you talk to God? That's what she said. Do you, do you, he asked, do you talk to God? And Mother Teresa says, no, I just listen to God. And he said, okay, well, then does God talk to you? And, he's, and she said, no, God just listens. And Dan had this puzzled look on his face. Okay, you listen and he listens. And she said, yes. And if you don't understand it, I can't explain it to you. What would it look like just to, and I can't either, what would it look like just to be with him? What she's saying is, I just want to be with him. And in our high-paced world with devices and noises, we need to change the rhythms We need to change the rhythms because the system you're in is producing exactly what the system produces. 
And if we don't change the system, the results will not change. When Jesus said, come and follow me, he was saying, be with me. Now, allow the things that I did to be the things that you do. Allow my life to be your life. And church, if we don't do that, then the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all that stuff we're missing out on. Because you can't tie apples to an apple tree. You have to allow them to grow. And the peace God wants for us comes from being with him. And in the months ahead, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about silence and solitude and prayer and scripture reading and all these things and get very, very practical about what that looks like for us to do that with God and then in community with each other. Because sometimes you just need help. Sometimes you just need help and you need someone next to you that's willing to walk with you. Heavenly pray for us. Father, as we, um, as we just evaluate, if we had to be honest as we woke up this morning, what were the initial thoughts? What do we feel? Are we sad? Are we frustrated? Are we discontent? Lord, so often in, in this world, there are messages that constantly come to us and we're not filtering. We're not taking every thought captive. We're just receiving and the life we're living and what we feel and our frustrations or our pride, all of that's coming out of what we're abiding in. And so, Holy Spirit, would you teach us what's the first simple step we might take? What can we let go of? And whether it's just for a month or two months, what can we shut off? What can we turn away from? And Father, in that space of noise, what would it look like just to sit with you and to be with you, to hear your voice? to know that you are with us. You told us you'll never leave us or forsake us. But just be still and know that you are God so that we might earnestly seek you, that our soul might thirst for you because we live in this dry and weary land. Father, there's no water. But we've seen you. We've seen you in the sanctuary. We've beheld your power and your glory. And because, Father, your love is better than life, our lips will praise you. Our soul in your presence will be satisfied as with the richest of food and with singing lips, Father, our mouth will praise you. Father, help us to practice the awareness of your presence and help us not, Father, to condemn ourselves when we fail, but just like a child getting up, falling off a bike, running to her Abba, allow us to run back to you and in your presence, Lord, to renew the strength we need to turn to you. Father, guide us in this. Pray, Father, this morning that we may come up front and even be prayed for, receive communion. Take that step to say, Father, I want to put you first. Guide us in these truths we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.